0: Welcome to Central Speaks, home of our weekly podcast. Central Speaks is produced by Hamilton
1: Central Baptist Church. I have an interesting passage of scripture this morning. We're looking at Acts chapter 12, and I've entitled my message this morning, The Persecution of the Hebrew Church. And there are two questions that we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis. And by the way, these two questions, I believe, come out of this passage. I want to ask them now. And I 'm going to ask them again right at the very end of our message together. The two questions, I think, are perhaps some of the most important questions we ever have to answer. The first question is this: What does God get out of it? What does God get out of it? We need to ask that question in everything we do. In my workplace, what does God get out of where I spend most of my time during the day? What's, what's God getting out of it? How does the kingdom of God benefit by, why, by what I spend most of my time, most of my life doing? What about in my family life? What does God get out of it? The second question flows out of the first somewhat, and it goes something like this. If I was to die tonight... I was to be face-to-face with the Lord Jesus in the morning, or if I was facing execution and I knew that that tomorrow morning I'm going to be face-to-face with my Saviour, what would I do differently? Am I ready to stand before Jesus? And if not, what would I change? What relationships are there in my life that perhaps need healing? Or what issues are going on in my life that perhaps need changing? Is there something that needs confessing? Now, these questions flow out of the passage in Acts chapter 12. Now, when we come to Acts chapter 12, this is, this is the last part of the first section of the book of Acts. This is, comes to a, a natural bridge point right there, or actually a natural uh, break point. And, and the first uh, 12 chapters, there's one personality that's dominated uh, the whole of the first 12 chapters. You know who that is, Right? the Apostle Peter. He's the kind of a dominant personality, and the church in Jerusalem is the dominant church. When we step into Acts chapter 13, and right through to 28, there's a new personality that comes on the scene. We read about him in chapter 9. We saw him in the persecution of, of uh, Stephen, and, and so this new personality is the Apostle Paul. And he blazes a trail right through. And as Brian has so uh, excellently pre- uh, presented to us, you know, the, the, the fact that the Gentile church, you know, true blue Gentiles, not proselytes to, uh, to, to Judaism or, or, or Gentiles that are kind of living, trying to live like Jews, these were true blue Gentiles. And a couple of men, some men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they jumped the fence, so to speak, and began to preach to true Gentiles. And when we get into chapters 13, right through to the, book, to the end of the book, it focuses on the Gentile church. Interesting, interesting. But we, right now, we're right at chapter 12, and this is the last section. and It's an incredible story of the persecution of the church in Jerusalem. Now, the Bible teaches us that there's a, an invisible battlefield going on in the heavenlies we can't see it but the bible reveals that it's true we see the evidence of it all around us and whether we like it or not you and i are part of that war by virtue of the fact that if we've received jesus christ as our savior and lord we're part of that war and we're going to see a little bit more of that in chapter 12. It comes out quite strongly, and I want to uh, share that with you this morning. But let's take a look at the passage, and let's read together in Acts chapter 12. It should come up on the screen. I hope I got it right for you. It's pretty small, but you should be able to read it okay with your good eyes. And I've asked Rhonda to read it for us because she's a way better reader than me. Thank you.
0: Uh, Acts chapter 12, reading from verse 12. About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James the brother of John with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by God to the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door regarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy she did not open the gate, but it ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting, that it was so, and they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning them to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter, and after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down to Judea, to Caesarea, and spent time there. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them, and the people were shouting, the voice of god and not of a man immediately an angel of the lord struck him down because he did not give god the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed to his last but the word of god increased and multiplied
1: pretty exciting passage in it you ever seen anybody eaten by worms alive? I've seen animals being eaten by worms. I'll tell you what, it's a ghastly sight. Incredible passage of scripture, incredible. Well, friends, we see in the first place here the violent persecution of the church. We see in verse 1 about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Whenever You see the name Herod appear in Scripture. You know you're going to be in for a bad day. It's true. When you read the name Herod, you know troubles brewing. Those Herods were a wicked bunch, the whole lot of them. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, we read of a fiery, great fiery red dragon. You remember that passage? And the fiery red dragon we know as the devil and Satan. And in that passage, he stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour the child. Now, we know from study of that passage that the woman there, you would think would be Mary, but it's not. It's actually Israel. It's a figurative of Israel. And the child that she was going to give birth to, Israel was going to give birth to, was the Son of God. And we're told in that passage that the woman gave birth to a son who was going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And Satan is standing there waiting to devour the baby as soon as it was born. Now we know from biblical history that the fiery red dragon used a pawn, a puppet, to try and kill the Lord Jesus at his birth that puppet, of course, was King Herod, right? And we read all about that in, in uh, the early chapters of, uh, of Matthew. Herod was the grandfather of the story, that, the Herod and the story in Acts chapter 12. Herod the Great murdered all the baby boys under two years old in Bethlehem and around, just trying to wipe out the Lord Jesus. And we know who that was. See, friends, there's an invisible battlefield going on in the heavenlies. And whether we like it or not, we're part of that battle. And I'm sure Herod Agrippa I was not necessarily antagonistic to the Christian faith, the Herod of our story this morning. But this Herod was looking for a way to carry the favor of the Jews. And by keeping the Jews happy, he was protecting his reign as king. Every Jew, you see, believed that Israel belonged to them. It was their land. It wasn't the Romans' land. They hated the Romans and and absolutely despised any Roman leadership over them. And so Herod Agrippa did all that he could to try and curry the favor of the Jews because because actually his reign was quite, quite volatile. He weaseled his way into the position, actually. Um, You want to read his story? I mean, it's just, you've never never seen conniving like it in your life. But Herod Agrippa saw a cheap way to curry the favor of his Jewish subjects by persecuting the church. Herod figured that Christians were defenseless nobodies, an easy target for attack. They didn't have any government. They couldn't fight back. They were weak. They were so easy to attack, and they could see, he could see that this was so pleasing to the Jews. Herod reckoned without God. In his initial attack against the Christians in verse 1, it tells us that Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. That Word violent hands there actually means to treat terribly, to to crush, to oppress. And so Herod oppressed the believers in Jerusalem. He treated them terribly. He crushed them. And he murdered James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now look at verses 3 and 4. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So obviously, Herod here is going for the leadership. See, you you knock the leadership out of a out of a organization. You take the leadership out, and often the organization will fall over. That's why when a Baptist pastor who's been a strong leader leaves, it it leaves a massive gap in the organization. Now we know that God is in control, right? But it just it leaves people feeling really vulnerable. It's the same with uh, in, uh, uh, in any form of leadership. When you attack the leaders and knock the leaders out, often the movement will fall away. That's what Herod was hoping. So he arrested Peter, put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Now, notice Herod saw that executing James pleased the Jews. He wasn't concerned so much with executing Christians, actually. He was just trying to look good in the eyes of the Jews. And when he saw that this was exceedingly pleasing to the Jews, he captured Peter, put him in prison, kept them in prison till after the Passover, because he couldn't do anything during the Passover. That would not be allowed. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't try anybody or crucify anybody during the, the Passover season. Uh, it's interesting, uh, very... <laughs> Very interesting concept, you know, the the Jews themselves would have been cleaning their houses out of any leaven. They'd be going through and cleaning it out, making sure there's no leaven because leaven was a sign of sin. And here were these people with leaven in their hearts, absolutely overjoyed that James had been murdered and that Peter now was in prison. His intention, of course, was to bring him out of jail after the Passover, then bring him out in public spectacle and have a mock trial and then an execution. Friends, that's the way the devil works. He uses pawns. He uses puppets. I remember when I was in India, teaching in the Bihar province in Patna, uh, and and I was teaching at a Bible school there, and every day I'd allow, or at least I didn't allow, I asked because it was quite good, They, they just kind of find out what these men had gone through and what, you know, what was happening in their lives and there's about 25 students and each day I had two of them give a testimony. Every one of those men just about, I don't remember any that didn't talk about the fact that they were demon possessed in their old way of life and how they needed to be delivered from demons and they talked about how they persecuted the church and some would say my mother today is can we pray for her, she's, she's being attacked by demons. It's it's so real. That's the violent persecution of the church. But we see in the second place the fervent prayers of the church, the fervent prayers of the church. So Peter was kept in prison, but look at this, but earnest prayer was made for him by the church. The iron gates of the prison were locked tight. Peter had... A soldier on each wrist, chained to him. I, mean, I, I think they were going to extra measures for Peter. They didn't want the other. Well, he'd already escaped from prison twice. They weren't going to get him, let him get away this time. They had a soldier on each arm like this. And then there were two, so that's two soldiers. Then they had two soldiers outside the, the gate. And, they, and, and so they had a, a, a total of four soldiers. And there were four groups of soldiers. They had 16 soldiers to guard one man. They didn't want him to get away. They didn't want him to to, to escape. No human possibility of escape. (laughs) He couldn't get out of that prison. So Peter was kept in prison. But (laughs) earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Whenever you see a but, a but in Scripture, watch out. This particular but spelled Herod's doom. Herod kept Peter in prison, but earnest prayer was made, to him, made to, for him to God by the church. And that word earnest there, earnest prayer, is a really interesting word. It means fervently. They prayed fervently. It means intensely praying, and it's a medical term. Did you know that? It's a medical term that that means that that it's when you stretch every single muscle till it burns and it's just about ready to snap. That's the idea of the the word. It means to, to stretch out to the absolute extreme. That's what they were doing in prayer, fervently praying. So the church in Jerusalem were fervently, earnestly, continually praying for Peter. It was the festival of Passover. It was holiday season. And so people took the opportunity to continuously pray for Peter's deliverance. I got thinking about this, this last week. And I wonder if I was taken into custody. I wonder if the folks here at Central Baptist would get together and earnestly pray for me continually pray for me, especially on a public holiday? I mean, maybe after the public holiday we could have a little prayer meeting, but I was thinking, I think I know what you would pray. You'd go, Lord, what you're going to do, do quickly. (laughs) Would we pray for one another? Seriously, would we? Do we? Do we lift each other up in prayer? While they were praying, friends, God was working. As those believers got on their faces before God, they were enter- entering into that spiritual battlefield. Did you know that the prayer is the real battlefield of the world? The whole universe is watching. The whole universe is listening to that little group of believers there in Jerusalem while they prayed for their beloved apostle. God was working. Watching, he was listening. The angels were watching, they were listening. The hosts of heaven were watching and listening That to that little group down there praying. The principalities and powers that we read about in Ephesians chapter 6 are watching and listening. The real battlefield where all the events of time and history are decided right there in that upper room and where all the believers were down on their knees fervently, intensely, earnestly, continually praying to God. Friends, isn't it so true that our prayers are peripheral? You know, they kind of, our prayers often are lifeless. Our prayers are often cold and indifferent. Our prayers don't have any blood or tears or agony. I'm speaking in generalizations, I know that. But then when God brings trouble into our lives, when sorrow sweeps over us like a flood, then your prayers become mixed with heartbeat and Great drops of blood and agony. It's true, isn't it? I believe that prayer should be one of the key ministries of the church. I wonder what would happen if on a Sunday morning we announced to the congregation, today we're going to pray together. Not having a sermon this morning, we're just going to pray. Here are some issues that we need to pray about, because... Our children are under attack. Our belief system in the one true God is under attack. We're not allowed to say certain things. We're not allowed to talk about certain things from Scripture. We've got to be, we're under attack. I believe we need to get together and pray earnestly to God that he would fight the battles that we're incapable of fighting. While these believers were praying earnestly for Peter, uh, An and earnest prayer was made for Peter to God by the church. One day passed, nothing happened. Two days passed, nothing happened. Probably thought it was completely hopeless by the third day, fourth day, nothing happened. James had been killed. Peter will no doubt be killed, but God was working. God was answering their prayers. God always responds to prayer. Look at verse f- 6 down there. Look at, look, look at verse 6. should come up on the screen. Now, I want you to notice what Peter was doing while the prayer meeting was going on. Look at this. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? I don't get that, man. The guy is about to be executed, and he was sleeping, bound with two soldiers. I'm guessing he's lying on a brick floor, concrete floor. He's taking his cloak off, and he's just... Well, now, we know that Peter loves sleeping, Right? We know that, you know, when the Lord Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and and, and he was transfigured before them, and and, and Moses and Elijah were there with the Lord Jesus, and this is the most incredible moment, and and he was sleeping. And then we go forward six months, and the Lord Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane again with Peter, James, and John, and he goes off a little ways, and the Lord is agonizing. Jesus is agonizing to the point where blood is just dripping from his face because he's, Oh God, if it be your will, take this cup from me, nevertheless not my will, but your will be done. What's Peter doing? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. And here he is again the night before his execution. He's sleeping. And I can imagine, I, I'm sure that Peter would have, would have talked to those two. I'm sure. Yeah, He's been in prison for a few days now. And he, and he would have said, hey, go, what's your name? Hey, well, my name's Thaddeus. What's your name? My name's Clevis. Clevis and Thaddeus. Let me ask you a question, guys. If you were to die tonight, if you were dying in my place, and you were to go and stand before God in heaven, and God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? <laughs> I bet you he gave them the gospel. Every one of those soldiers would have got the gospel. And, and uh, I don't have any doubt about that. I have no doubt whatsoever that, that Peter would have confessed up and got everything ready in his life. And he would have said, Lord, are there any, any hindrances? Is there anything that's in the road between you and me? I'm sure he would have done that. I'm sure that he spent time praying for the church. God when if you've chosen this moment for me to go, then Lord, we want to pray. I want to pray for the church in Jerusalem. I pray for the church as it spreads out over the world. I'm sure he Prayed, but Peter's sound asleep on the floor. He's ready to be executed. He doesn't give a rip. Why? Do you know why? The answer is simple. And, friends, I've got to be honest with you. I only just discovered this yesterday, late yesterday, actually. John 21. Jesus is on the beach in the shores of Galilee. You remember what Jesus said to Simon? He said there on the beach after they had been fishing, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter was getting a little bit distraught at this point, And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said, fed my lambs. And you remember what Jesus said, verses 18 19. Look what it says here. Truly, I tell you, when you are younger, you, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you to where you don't want to go. He indicated this to indicate what, by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. Friends, you know what? Peter knew he wasn't old. Jesus said, when you get old, he wasn't old. He knew it wasn't going to happen. He wasn't going to be taken by this Herod. He could do whatever he likes. So I'm just going to go off to sleep because I'm going to be alive tomorrow to see it. And I, I'm not old. And he knew how he was going to, be, how he was going to die. So that, And he could sleep. Oh man, do we have that kind of insurance if we were to stand before God tonight? And just quickly as we finish this morning, I want to look at the miraculous deliverance of the church. Behold, an angel, verses 7 and 9, uh, through 9. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him and said, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. Now, friends, It's generally thought that this possibly was Peter's guardian angel. You know, Jacob had an angel that protected him from Laban. Daniel had an angel that protected him from the lions. Little children have angels that report to God about any mistreatment they receive. Paul had an angel that that strengthened them when the ship was sinking. The Holy Spirit tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who are going to inherit salvation. Now follow what happens. Peter's sound asleep. Angel comes in, and the angel his lights just shine. You know, he just shines up the whole cell. Peter's a, he's out. The, 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 the angel comes out. He doesn't just just doesn't come over and give him a little little shake. Peter, Peter, wake up, wake up. Peter, wake up. He doesn't. He comes over, wallop, and he struck him. He actually whacks him. He he. Friends, that's what it means. That's what the word means. He struck him. You know, the same word is used. when You know when Peter was, was in the Garden of the Gethsemane with the Lord Jesus, he pulls out his sword and he took a swipe at Melchus. Same word. Peter, Peter didn't go up to Melchus and go, excuse me, Melchus, will, will you please stand still just for a moment because this could hurt a little bit. I'm just going to chop off your ear. No, he, didn't. he took a swipe That's so why he struck at Melchus. Same word is used in Revelation of, the, of God striking the nations. The same word is used when the angel struck Herod. In the end of our story, he struck him. He didn't go up to Herod and say, excuse me, Mr. Herod, this is going to be very uncomfortable. You may want to take off that beautiful silver coat you're wearing and, and just lie down on the ground because I have a bunch of worms for you. He didn't do that. He struck him. He whacked him. And that's the same word that's used here. He struck Peter. He smacked him one. Well, Peter started to wake up and he's still groggy, you know, he's like, look look what happens, you think that that, just gather everything, get out of there, come on, let's go, let's go, your chains fall off, get out of here, what does the angel do? Look what he does, look what he does, he says, get up, he gets up, put your cloak on, put your, put your, dress yourself, so he dresses yourself, tie your shoes on, so he ties his shoes on, put your cloak around you, so he... Puts us. They're in no hurry. Not an ounce of hurry. Everything's in order. Put wrap your cloak around you. Wraps his cloak around him. Now follow me. Now I don't know if that angel was just a bit grumpy that morning, but boy, he was. He was giving Peter a hard time. But everything was orderly. Everything was in place. And and I'm trying to figure this out. Why did this happen? Why did he smack Peter so hard? I don't know the answer, friends. There's no real answer. We're not given one in Scripture, but we notice something. Peter's sound asleep, and the church is praying. The church is out there praying, and Peter's just sound asleep. He gets up. He's in a daze. He just slaps his clothes on. He can imagine praying back to front, whatever. And he still thinks he's in a dream and he's walking out of, the, out of the, 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 the cells there and the gates just open by themselves and the angel just takes him out on the street, go past one street, disappears. Doesn't say a word to him, just disappears. and He comes to himself and then he realizes, you know what? God has delivered me. God is so good. Now, if I was Peter, boy, I'd be out of there so quick because those soldiers would be figuring out right now he's not there. And you know what happens to a soldier who loses a, uh, loses a prisoner? They take the place. They've got to be executed in the place of the person in the prison. And those soldiers would have been scouring everywhere. They'd been going everywhere looking for him. What does Peter do? He goes to the church. And he goes, makes his way there, and he goes in. And he, You know the story, but he quietens them all down. And he, and he tells them the story. Why? Because they had to see that God answers prayer. And that God's in control. And it doesn't matter if COVID's coming. And it doesn't matter what's that. God's in control. And we need to learn, friends. We need to learn that, that Jesus Christ, God, God is in control. But you and I are called to a battle to pray.
0: Thanks for joining us this week online. Come join us on Sunday mornings too if you're in Hamilton. Find out more about Hamilton Central Baptist Church and discover ways to get involved at www.hcbc.nz. Join us again next week at Central Speaks.